podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. They ready for us. That's because it's Monday. And Monday is Pop Culture Day. When I say it's Pop Culture Day, I mean it's the Raspy Voice Kids. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother Jeremy J. and Fiend Phoenix. We are the RVK. Today is Pop Culture. Yes, sir. Hit you with that pop, 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 pop. And you already know what it is. Last week we went with Am I the Apple? Jeremy and I had a heated exchange. I was right. He claimed he was right, but I was right. Mama Phoenix and that mountain mama with the heart of golden blue agreed with equal your boy. To 40, four, uh, uh, equal to 49 to 3 uh, no. loss. So it, no. no, no. Some people, somebody, some people claim victories. Uh, not getting shut out. And hey, hats off to you, Mama Phoenix and the other Mountain Mama, uh, Jen Wilt. Uh, it was 49 to 3. So, you know, good game, but at least you guys didn't get the, uh, the donut at the end. Way to kick a field goal in the fourth, way to kick a field goal in the fourth quarter. Okay. All right. Anyway, all I know is today's pop culture. We're going to see if we can do Ada again. Am I the apple? Jeremy hit them with it. Y'all ready for it? Here it goes. Am I the a-hole for telling my fiancé I won't proceed with our wedding if he insists on inviting his female friend? My fiancé has a female best friend since childhood. Now I'm not the person who gets jealous over my partner being friends with the opposite gender. I'm bisexual so it wouldn't be rational of me to have some weird expectations like this. Plus my fiancé has many female friends as a straight guy and I have friends of both genders as well. What bothers me here is not the gender of the friend but whether or not they're able to respect boundaries. So I'd make the same talk if the friend in question was a male. So to the point, his female best friend, Rachel has always been in competition with me regarding on who's more important and a bigger priority to my fiancé. At first my fiancé failed to stand up to her and set boundaries but after a small break we had and after we reconciled he realized the importance of boundaries and set hard boundaries with her. I know that whenever she sees me or hears about me she's not happy but we act kind to each other despite our actual feelings. Now that we are planning our wedding, we picked out our groomsmen and bridesmaids and my fiancé has his female friend as one of his groomsmen, a groomswoman. After my fiancé asked her to join that role, she texted me a lengthy paragraph which to sum it up said, Just so you know your fiancé and I are still each other's priority. You may marry him and have kids with him, share a house with him but right now he picked me as a groomswoman knowing how that would bother you because he cares about not hurting my feelings more than your feelings. You can't easily ruin friendships like that. Just stay in your lane and accept your place. You might be his wife, but I'm his best friend and I'm not going anywhere. Make peace with it and who knows soon enough we might get along. I showed my fiancé and he said he'll deal with her and I shouldn't worry. I told him I've had enough and that the only solution I'm accepting is proper consequences for her actions. That means she's either dropped as a groom's woman or uninvited. He makes the call for which one it will be but I'm tired of his best friend not having real consequences of her actions and getting her way. I won't trust him enough to proceed with our wedding if he doesn't set clear limits and make his friend face the consequences of her behavior. He said what I'm doing is very unfair because he is not responsible for her actions and feels like I'm putting unnecessary responsibility and pressure on him. 
Am I the a-hole? Am I the a-hole for Kelvin? And there it is. Laid out very succinctly, clearly, Brandon. Now, I'll be real with you, Beefing. I, I went back and forth on this for a second, but on a third and fourth time of hearing it again, I, ca- I caught some stuff that made me change my mind as to how I ultimately feel about this. Brandon, <clears throat> I want to I know your opinion. I want to know how you feel. There's Tell no way. Tell me how you feel. There's no way on God's green earth that the fiance, the wife to be, is the apple. No way. She's not the apple. I'm not telling you she's done everything right in every moment of this relationship, but she is not the apple. She's not. She has every right to expect her fiance's loyalty. She has every right to expect to be the priority. She has every and for right him to- and for him to protect her honor. For him, now here's the thing, Brandon. To protect her honor and dignity, and dignity. Here's the thing. Early on, I thought, well, this is something that needed to come up earlier. You saw this was a problem the entire relationship. You should have brought it up. Because you allowed it to go on, and now we're at this juncture, and now you can't get over it? I will also say two things. The first thing is, listen to it again. If you listen closely, she said, we had a hiatus or, or, or something that uh, effect. Yeah, they took a break. Because a break. of it. And, she, and he came back realizing that he had to make, you know, a separation between him and his best friend. So they addressed it. They talked about it. This has already been an issue. So for me, Brandon, she is definitely not the apple. The fact that this, <laughs> Brandon, the ridiculousness of this girl saying, you may be his wife, but I will always, you're out. I get her 100%. You are not coming to my wedding. You will come trying to puff up and boss up and be all in mine. I'm not saying my boyfriend or husband or fiance is into you like that. But on the flip side, you are not going to talk to me like that. Check your tone. So, no, 100%. Either you're going to show that you're loyal to me or, look, poof, be gone. As you said but did not finish, check your tone. And how does it go, Jeremy? Use your inside voice. Before I put yourself outside. And that is exactly what needs to happen. This best friend needs to be put outside of the relationship because she does not understand her place. I have a female friend. Shout out to Francesca Jones. Shout out to Chech. Yeah, yeah. High priority in my life. Absolutely. Big time in my life. Been there for me in so many different situations. But we understand what it is. I am not more important than who is the most important person to her. And she is not more important to me than who was the most important person to me. If either one of us ever got out of our lane, it would quickly be established and reiterated what it really is. And that is what a balanced friendship looks like. Imbalance looks like calling out the fiance, calling out the wife and saying, I'm more important. I'm the priority. Sounds to me like somebody is confused about their role or confused about what they actually want out of the relationship. And with the dude, man, I just, I just like, bro, what is it? 
I understand that's your home girl, but your other, you know, your wife, your fiance clearly has a problem with it. So what do you want? You look, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And that's what it is. You can't, uh, you know, you're tripping out on me. I have nothing to do with it. What? What? She just came out of her face and said this. Who's making her feel that way? Who's not making it clear? You're not making it clear. You're not so making make it, it clear. That's what I was going to say. There are two apples in this situation. Neither one of them are the fiance. It's the man and it's the best friend. The man is an apple because he's not stepping up and being a man. And the best friend because she is blatantly and intentionally causing a rift. And here's the truth. Maybe they didn't like, all right, so we, we've established that they, they broke up over it. We've established that they already talked about it. But the way I feel and the way I live my life and the, what I realize is you don't, I feel like marriage is a permanent thing. When you marry somebody, my, my thoughts and intentions are this is for life. So I don't care when you come to the conclusion that uh, this might not be right. I don't care if it's right before you walk down the aisle. You make it clear or, or, or if you feel like, hey, this is not going to work, it's not going to work. Because don't say I do unless you really mean I do. So with homegirl making this thing saying, hey, you tell your best friend or I'm out, man, I respect it. I respect it because it's better than one of the Adas that we did before. Remember, Brandon, where the girl got mad at her husband and threw away all of his uh, his uh, deceased wife's pictures. Yes. And, yes. And all that other stuff. Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> no. That's not the way it works. So if you got a problem, if you got an issue, you got to get it on the table now before you say I do, before you walk down the aisle, before you take my gift. Yeah. Way to make it about me before you take my gift. Well, that's all I got. That's how the RBK feels. How do you guys feel? Who is the apple? Is it the best friend? Is it the fiance? Is it the husband to be? Let us know and get at your boys. Rat me, boys. More than 100 schools available from Home Field Apparel. If you like comfortable clothes, check them out. They are a partner with the Raspy Voice Kids and the 1012 Network. Use our code RASPY12, R-A-S-P-Y-12. For a discount on your first order, 15%. Go get it. Tell them we sent you. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. Join me, Jamie Steyer Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure. This is one family reunion you won't want to miss. Each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Rat me, boys! This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. I am one part of the Raspy Voice Kids. You are now tuned in to the Raspy Voice Kids Podcast. It is Pop Culture Day, and we are doing a special interview today, a blue and gold, inter- or sorry, a gold and blue interview. Today we have with us Seth Poling from the Seth Project, the pride of Buchanan Upshur High School, who is also a Fairmont State product, who is joining us today to talk about something very important, something that does not get talked about enough. 
but has been in the national media more in recent years than in past years. Seth, thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon. Thank you. Now, as you notice, Seth is talking with the help of a computer because Seth has been diagnosed with ALS or more commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease for a lot of people. He's going to communicate with us and he's going to tell us his story. He's going to go through and tell us not only his story, but what he's been through and also what he's going to accomplish by means of his hard work and the support of the people around him. The first question I have for you, Seth, is how were you diagnosed with ALS and how did you react? ALS affects everyone differently, so the diagnosis process is often long drawn out. I first noticed a small muscle twitch in my right shoulder while on a cruise in 2014. I brushed it off and chopped it up as a possible symptom of an old injury. After six months of continuous twitching and some pain in my shoulder, I decided to see an orthopedic surgeon. The orthopedic surgeon scheduled an MRI which showed a torn rotator cuff and labrum. The surgeon suggested surgery, but advised that I should see a neurologist before surgery to have the twitching looked at further. I went to my first neurologist appointment at Ruby Memorial Hospital in May 2015 without a care in the world. I had no idea that my and my family's lives were about to be changed forever. The neurologist examined me and determined that I was now twitching in my left tricep, tongue, and right shoulder. He showed a general concern but didn't elaborate. He suggested that I have an um performed to better understand why I was twitching. Immediately after the um, the neurologist said he could not say with 100% clarity, but he feared that I showed the early signs and symptoms of ALS. Erica and I were floored. I had only heard of Luguri the baseball player and the ice bucket challenge from the year before. We left the appointment in total disbelief and decided to seek a second opinion. I scheduled an appointment with an ALS specialist at Cleveland Clinic in November 2015. I left that appointment with more questions than answers. We received zero clarification as to if I truly had ALS or not. The only way to diagnose ALS is through symptom diagnostics. There is not a single test that says with 100% clarification yes or no. I shared a few symptoms of ALS, but not enough to say definitively. I refused to believe I had ALS and carried on with my life for the next 1.5 years. Over the next 1.5 years, I started to notice that my speech would slur when I was tired. My family suggested that I seek another opinion. 
I scheduled an appointment with a leading ALS specialist at Johns Hopkins in June 2017. After being examined by a specialist, he confirmed our worst fears that I have ALS. Well, that's quite a journey just in those couple of years there early on. Can you explain to us the thoughts that went through your head and and how you decided to handle them? For the first couple of years, I was in denial. I refused to believe that I had a terminal illness. I was grasping for any diagnosis that wasn't ALS. As time progressed, so did my symptoms. At some point, I realized through symptoms and research into ALS that I unfortunately had every symptom. That was during a break from any doctors because honestly, what could they do? Upon receiving my official diagnosis, I went into ultra-health saving mode. I cut all unhealthy habits and tried to stretch and exercise. More than anything, that was the beginning of this mental and emotional journey that I am still on. So when did you realize something was wrong? How did you process that? The entire process leading up to my early symptoms was such a whirlwind. I believed everything I was experiencing was directly related to my torn rotator cuff. I was still in denial when I started to twitch in my left arm. I went to see an orthopedic surgeon for a cortisone shot for my right shoulder, the initial symptom onset starting point. I asked the doctor to examine my left shoulder. It seemed to show a partially torn rotator cuff. I thought, oh lucky me. I have two messed up shoulders. Over the next six to eight months, my twitching spread down my arms and into my upper back. I would have occasional cramps in my forearms. The first red flag for me was that I started to notice twitching in my tongue. The most alarming part was that I would get severe cramps in my throat and tongue. It would be so severe that I would throw up trying to clear my throat. I knew something was wrong. This wasn't normal. Now the panic and realization that the far-flung idea of ALS was a real possibility. By this point, I was twitching everywhere except for my left leg. I had considerable weakness in my right hand and arm. My left hand was starting to cramp. My tongue was clumsy. My voice was hoarse. I had to use a device that looked like a large Swiss army knife. Except this device was a lifesaver. It was a button and zipper assist. It opened up to reveal different hooks and an open-ended grasp. Without this device, I couldn't button or more importantly, unbutton my pants. Try being alone in public or at work and you have to ask another adult to help you unbutton and zip your pants. Humiliating, demoralizing, 
painful. That weighs on a person. Suddenly, your independence takes a quick punch to the gut. So, going through all of that, experiencing all of that, getting that punch in the gut, do you ever feel sorry for your situation? Do you, do you ever feel like, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Great question. This is the hardest part of having ALS, in my opinion. The struggles. Everything is a struggle. Some of the most mundane tasks for you have been internal meltdowns for me. I'll share a few examples. I remember when I first felt my independence slipping from the grasp of my weak trembling hands. I was experiencing severe muscle cramps in my legs. I decided to try an Epsom salt bath. I ran an ice hot bath and eased my twitching body into the warm, soothing water. Side note, I hadn't taken a bath in years. As the water cooled, I decided to get out. I placed my hands on the sides of the bathtub. As I attempted to stand, I realized that I didn't have the strength to get to my feet. I tried again, but the result stayed the same. I gave myself a pep talk and tried another way. I rolled onto my stomach and I tried to get to my knees. After several attempts, I reached the perfect position. I muster the energy to escape this porcelain prison. Okay, one, two, three. I didn't go anywhere. Thankfully Erica was home. I yelled for her to come to help me, but there was one big issue. My wife Erica was eight months pregnant. She should not be trying to lift her naked husband out of a bathtub. After some laughing and a few heated exchanges, we found that I was too slick and heavy. Insert my cardiac care nurse wife. She used a folded sheet under my armpits to stand me up. We overcame adversity, but at the cost of my independence. That brings me to my biggest struggles right now. The loss of independence is still disrupting my life. Instead of physical disabilities, now it's communication independence that is a hindrance. I communicate via my eyes with the assistance of an eye gaze communication device. The eye gaze bar tracks my retinas. As I scan the screen, the eye tracker follows my eyes. Once I pause my eye movement, the dwell clicks on whatever I am looking at. This is where things get difficult. Every night, Erica helps me lay down in bed. I have to be physically stood up and transferred to bed. That process stimulates my cough reflex. As I begin to cough, my eyes start to water. The list of things that need to be done doesn't care that I am coughing or that Erica has to navigate tubes, alarms, and our children. When I am stressed, my eyes squint and try to shed my tears. 
Erica is trying to rush to get me in a comfortable position without clear communication. I am trying to see through tears and blinding lights and communicate minor positional tweaks so the eye tracker can do its job. This is a recipe for disaster. Ask any successful marriage, what is the key to a successful marriage? The overwhelming majority will say, communication. This is the most difficult thing in my life right now. As Credence Clearwater Revival said, communication breakdown, it's always the same. Having a nervous breakdown, a drive me insane. That is a small glimpse into life with ALS. It is the most frustrating, life-altering experience that I have ever encountered. I cry every day, not from pain, but from frustration. Mind-bending, body-shaking, teeth-grinding frustration. You made the point earlier that you that even though this is as you already explained, a horrific, horrific disease, and it's completely unfair that you don't say why me because you feel like you can handle the situation and that you're a person that can shed light on this horrific disease like you are right now. And telling a story, telling these stories, is powerful in and of itself. One of the questions I have for you next is what do you want your children to learn from this? I want my children to learn so much from this journey. I want them to learn three main things. Humility, gratitude, and perseverance. The hardest lesson that I've had to learn is humility. I foremost had to forget dignity. I had to put my dignity to the side. Nothing is more humbling than having another adult wipe your butt. That's a tough pill to swallow regardless of your age. I've been so blessed throughout this journey with others' love, support, and generosity. People have been amazing in supporting me and my family. It's unlikely that my quality of life would be anywhere comparable to what it is currently without others' support. I'm grateful to have friends and family who support me and my family. Life is full of peaks and valleys. It's not a matter of if you will experience hardships, but when you will experience hardship. Maybe you will fall at school. Maybe you ask your first crush out, but they say no. Maybe you don't make the cut for your sports team. Maybe you got fired from work. Maybe you received the dreaded call from your doctor saying you only have six months to live. What do you do? Do you give up and quit? I don't know about you, but I don't have much quit in me. Hardship and adversity shall not define us. Adapt and overcome. Prevail in the face of adversity. The fact that I was dealt a tough hand doesn't mean that I can't love and enjoy my life. I refuse to let this disease define me. Through humility, gratitude, 
and perseverance, all things are possible. I hope that my children learn those key points along with many others. Love, laugh, and be kind to others. That's beautiful, Seth. I hope they learn those things too, and I hope everyone listening can learn those things, myself included. Now let's talk about the Seth Project. Why did you start the Seth Project? What's your goal, and who are you trying to impact with it? I started the Seth Project because I saw the need to spread awareness about a devastating, debilitating disease. I've had so many experiences with every walk of life who don't have a clue what ALS is. I've been spoken to loudly because people think that I'm deaf or mentally challenged. I've had people tell me that at least it isn't cancer. Really? Cancer's horrible, but their treatments. ALS is 100% deadly. No ifs, and, or buts about it. I wanted to change that through education and advocacy. My goal is to raise awareness for ALS and motor neuron disease through education and advocacy. I hope that the scholarship fund at my alma mater, Buchanan Upshur High School, will have a direct effect on the future of ALS. The recipient is required to go into a STEM-based field. STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Secondly, the SETH project will support the research and development of life-saving treatments through donations to leading ALS advocacy groups and research facilities, such as IMALS and ALSTD. Thirdly, we plan to set up a volunteer program with local colleges and tech schools to have STEM degree students volunteer to work directly with MND patients. That exposure is beneficial for the student and patient. I'm trying to impact as many people as possible. The adage, out of sight, out of mind, is a prime example of ALS. No one knows anything about ALS until it happens to them. The more exposure people get to ALS, the closer we become to a cure. Together we can help end ALS. What is your connection to football? My connection to football started at the age of seven with Pop Warner football. I was so small that I had to weigh in, in full pads. I continued playing football for Buckhannon Upshur Middle and High School. I switched from running back to quarterback in my seventh grade year. I was the starting quarterback for the rest of my career. My senior year was a particularly outstanding season. We ripped off nine straight wins after losing to Morgantown High School 40 to nothing. We finished the regular season 9-1. and one. We hosted the first home playoff game in 25 years. Unfortunately, 
We lost to Jefferson County in the first round of the 2004 Triple Playoffs 20-10. I was lucky enough to receive a scholarship to continue playing football at Fairmont State College as a quarterback. Unfortunately, I dislocated my shoulder and tore my rotator cuff. Oddly enough, the orthopedic surgeon suggested that I end my playing career if I wanted to play catch with my children. How coincidental that my ALS symptoms started in the same shoulder. Football will be my favorite pastime. You can't beat a cool crisp fall morning in Morgantown for a WVU football game. Sure can, man. That's how I feel. <laughs> love those Mountaineers. You got to love them. Please explain the correlation between playing NFL football and developing ALS because a lot of people are familiar or starting to become familiar with that connection or that there is a connection. Are there others in high-risk careers? Can you tell us that? In a recent study, NFL players are four times more likely to develop ALS. Researchers examined all 19,423 NFL players who took the field for at least one game from 1960 to 2019 in what the scientists said was the most comprehensive study of ALS risk in professional football players. Previously, smaller studies have also found links between league play and the disease. The latest study found that 38 players had received an ALS diagnosis during the study period, and 28 had died, a fourfold increase over the rates for the overall U.S. male population adjusted for age and trace. ALS has a well-known face in the NFL Super Bowl champion, New Orleans Saint, Steve Gleason. Steve and his nonprofit, the Gleason Foundation, have been a pillar in the ALS community for a decade. Other notable NFL players with ALS are Phil Green, Dwight Clark, Derek Jensen, Tim Shaw, and Werner Smith. Exercise may trigger the onset of the deadly nerve disease amyotrophic lateral sclerosis ALS, a new study finds. The research showed that people who exercised vigorously, and who also carried genes tied to ALS, developed the disease at younger ages than those who were sedentary. The findings suggest that exercise could exacerbate a genetic predisposition to the devastating disease. We are used to thinking exercise is good. In this unusual case, Intense exercise is bad for you, said study co-author Michael Snyder, chair of the Department of Genetics at Stanford University. The role of exercise in the development of ALS was controversial. The disease affects anaerobic fast twitch muscle fibers, but systematic reviews of past research failed to show a connection between exercise and ALS. Because the disease typically presents later in life, 
it is often referred to as a two-hit disease, meaning that a person may have the genes for the disease, the first hit, but a second switch must be flipped for that person to get sick. The new study suggests that for ALS, frequent and prolonged exercise may be a second hit that turns such genes on or off, thereby leading to neuronal death. As noted, studies have strongly linked brain injury from concussions and repetitive head injuries. This latest study suggests some cases of ALS may also be caused by brain trauma. Lou Gehrig reportedly had multiple concussions throughout his sports career. Regardless of whether he had Lou Gehrig's disease or CTE with features of ALS, this new research raises the possibility that his demise might have been due to traumatic brain injury. And that should serve as a reminder that even as we cheer on those with inspiring athletic talent and win at all cost determination, protecting the health of sports participants should be even more important. Some studies have suggested that service in the military is associated with the development of ALS, even being as much as twice as likely to develop ALS as those who have not had military service. Despite extensive research into this, scientists still have not yet been able to uncover a link between military service and the development of ALS. According to ALS Association, a person's risk of developing the disease is increased, regardless of the branch of the military they served in, whether they served during war or peace, or where they were posted. It's fascinating. It's really hard to put all that into perspective. Big numbers, lots of data, but thank you for providing that information. Now. Switching subjects totally, I hear that you're a big WVU fan. Please tell me about your West Virginia University sports fandom, and if you would, what are some of your predictions for this season? Yes, I am a huge WVU fan. I remember listening to Tony Caridi on the radio as a child. My first WVU memory was watching Mark Wilger beat Boston College at night at home. I went to the game with my dad and my grandpa. It was love at first sight. Beginning in 1998, I started to get season tickets with my dad and his buddies. We would travel around the state every Friday night to watch the best local high school game. Then we would go watch the Mountaineers on Saturdays. I was fortunate enough to get season tickets with my dad from 1998 until 2018. During those 20 years, I only missed a handful of games. As my love for West Virginia football grew, so did the success of the teams. I witnessed arguably the greatest span of WVU football ever. Memories of a lifetime. Unbelievable moments such as Virginia Tech win when everyone rushed the field, the overtime spectacular Louisville game, 
and of course, watching the best backfield in college football history. Pat White, Steve Slayton, and Owen Schmidt. I will forever cherish those moments. Can't forget every pitch shell king. I watch and cheer, waiting to hear country roads take me home. As for a prediction for this season, I am your typical mountaineer fan. I swing for the fence and bat with my heart. I think with the addition of some offensive firepower, the Mountaineers will be reminiscent of Mike Leach and Graham Harrell's Texas Tech Air Raid offense. Add in the best defense in the Big 12, and I think that we will be 7-5. and five. I hope for an even better season. I hope for an even better season too, my friend. I hope we're undefeated. 15-0 national champions coming out of Morgantown, West Virginia. But you know, we can't bank on it. We can only hope for it. Swing for the fences, like you said. Now, Seth, how can people find you and follow your journey? People can follow my journey on every major social media platform, such as the following, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find me by searching for Seth Poling or Seth Poling 10. I recently found a great platform called Beacons. As the name suggests, it shines a light on all of my accounts on one simple-to-use website. You can find my social media accounts. My new blog is on there. I plan to write two or three blogs per month about my life. You can also find a few publications with links to stories about me. I also have a few links to ways that my followers can donate to help me with any medical or care expenses that I encounter. The cost of living with ALS is extremely expensive. I have a heavy online presence as I try to educate and advocate for ALS. Please consider following my journey and helping me and ALS. Well, there you have it. Once again, Seth Poling was today's gold and blue interview. Seth, we are so grateful that you were willing to take some time to join us, that you're willing to put forth the effort to join us. We know it's not easy. As I told you, you know, before we were recording, I am a respiratory therapist. I have worked with patients, people like you, and I'm just in awe of the efforts that you put forth not only for yourself but also to end ALS once and for all so thank you, thank you, thank you I am honored to be your guest and share my ALS journey and advocate for a cure thanks again let's go Mountaineers Podcast Network.